Welcome to another episode of Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. I'm Krista Silva, your host from the Life, Family and Outreach Office in the Archdiocese of Sydney. And this week we're joined by men's ministry guru, the illustrious Robert Felsen. Welcome, Robert. How are you? Good to be with you, Chris. Not so sure about the introduction being correct, but anyway. <laughs> Great to have you here, Robert, and thanks for making the time. Um, before, yeah, before we get into our conversation today, I'd just like to remind all men watching or listening to this to join our community on Facebook. We've got a Facebook group called Maximus Men, and all of the challenges that we receive during these conversations are posted in that group and we help to encourage each other and keep each other accountable in that group as well. And then of course we have our associated page that goes with the group called Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. That's probably where you're watching this if you're watching it on Facebook. Um, but if you're listening to it on a podcast then um, head over to that Facebook page, please. Um, Great. So before we get into our conversation about all things Robert's story, men's ministry and, and leadership and all the rest of it, um, I'm just going to say a quick opening prayer. So if everyone will join me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving God, we praise you. We thank you for this afternoon. I pray that you especially bless every man who ever watches or listens to this conversation. Pray that you'd speak through me and give me all of the promptings to guide this conversation the way that you would want it to go and that you'd speak in a powerfully way as you have so many times through the mouth of Robert. Um, may the men who listen, listen to this be encouraged and inspired in their journey. May they take on their role as the men that you call them to be in their lives in new and greater ways um, through this conversation. And we ask all of this in your most powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wonderful. So thanks, Robert. Um, what I what I get most of our guests to do, and what I'll get you to do as well, is to give us just a little bit of uh, background to your story. I know that you've got a powerful testimony that I believe I heard for the first time when I was doing net training in 2010. Um, <laughs> so I think the reason that we like to do this is because a substantial part of how we learn what greatness looks like um, is from seeing and hearing the stories of other men. So tell us a bit about your childhood. Let's just focus on that early part of your life, first of all. Um, your family and the earliest examples that you witnessed of, of what a real man is, or just what a man is. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I was born in Perth, Western Australia. And I was born to migrant, a migrant mother. She, she um, and her family fled wartime Europe, Italy, and uh, migrated to Fremantle in Perth, Western Australia, and then eventually uh, dad, whose parents came from Hungary and Malta, 
um, dad was born, granddad was born in Australia, uh, dad was born in Australia and, and um, dad met mum, got married and I'm the firstborn son of five children. Uh, big families in those days, Catholic mother, Catholic father. Mm. Um, dad's idea of fatherhood was really uh, provide, protect and punish. And uh, he did all three really well. And uh, dad um, was away. He worked, he worked hard. In those days, you had to work two jobs to to grow a family, feed a family. So dad at night time used to work at the West Australian newspapers typesetting for the paper. And during the day he would get the casual laboring work with the Brickies laborers to provide for us. Um, so he was away a lot. My uh, first memories of uh, manhood was, was, was wanting to have my dad with me, mm. wanting to, uh, just imbibe who he was, you know, his smell and his his muscles and his humanity. Um, I was hungry for him, but he was often away, not there. So manhood was a confusing thing for me as a young man. Um, absent father, sometimes angry father. Um, discipline was 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 um, significant from time to time. It's the way it was in those days. So I didn't know what a man was really. Um, I thought a man was a man that works. So I learned a great work ethic from him. Work has never been something I was afraid of. And mum, mum was the classic uh, live at home mum. Yeah, very, very different to the mothers today. I guess, I guess mum was a live at home mum. She was proud of her cooking and her ability to keep a home and she sort of raised us, took us to school, made sure we uh, did all the right things. And if we didn't do the right things, she'd tell dad and we'd get a little bit of a lesson in the evening. So um, that's my earliest childhood. Um, I, I, like most of the young men of my era, were confused about manhood. Mm. We thought manhood was about being physically strong and being in charge, regardless of skills, capability and um, and right, we thought we were in charge and everybody else had to obey. And that's the sort of manhood that I grew up with. Yeah, I think that's probably my childhood. I like surfing. Yeah. I like surfing and chasing girls. I didn't like going to mass. <laughs> um, and um, school, school was okay. I got by, but it wasn't something that I was really excited about. Yeah. And so I'll just pick you up on the point that you said at the beginning there about how you saw your dad protecting, providing, but also punishing. Um, I suppose the first two of those three are good. Those are the things that we do want to strive to do as men. Um, but did you think that the punishment side of things affected also the way that you saw God maybe as well? Yeah. So the way I saw God was... The way we see God is often related to the way we see our own fathers. So I yes. saw God as distant, yeah. absent, long way away, old. You know, when you're when you look at your, when you look back, you know, I look at my dad and he was he was in his late twenties when he had me, um, but he seemed old. He seemed yeah. old at that age, you know. <laughs> and yeah. um, so old, distant, grey-haired, angry. 
list keeping, disciplinarian. Mm. Yeah. That's sort of the image of God that I had when I was growing up. I know a lot of men in parishes in Australia that still have that same image of God now. Yes, absolutely. I can, I can certainly second that. And so when did you encounter, you know, the person of Jesus Christ and, and realize who he was and his qualities? Yeah, that's probably the most important question really, isn't it? Yeah. So um, my mother, Italian mother, you learn to not disobey your Italian mothers. <laughs> really good woman, still alive now. Dad's passed on to uh, the other side. Mum, mum's 87 and very frail and um so she um she forced me to go to a redemptress father's mission nice. so parish parish missions in in uh, that era were predominantly run by by the redemptress fathers in australia the redemptress fathers prep you know were proud of their capacity to do parish missions and they were very good at it they were they were uh, fire and brimstone and um, they scared the life out of people sometimes, but they they had a capacity to communicate well. Um, I went to the youth night. I didn't want to go. I sat in the back row. Uh, this young priest, who uh, you know might have been thirty or something like that, uh, he he preached about Jesus in a way that I was convinced that he'd met Jesus and knew him. Mm. He preached about Jesus as, as a different face of God than the one that I knew. Jesus, yeah. Jesus who loves Jesus, who cares, Jesus, who heals Jesus, who, who is God and is loving and is in, in wanting to be in relationship with me. And the way he communicated, I wanted what he had. I wanted what he had. And then at the end of the uh, end of the evening, he said, "If anybody wants to um, chat to me about what I was sharing, you could you could come up later on, and um, and I'll I'll talk to you about that." And I went up, and and he said, "Look, all you have to do to to ha to have Jesus in your life is to invite him, and and I'll pray for you." So. I had nothing to lose, really. I got on my knees and I said a simple little prayer and he put his hands on me and prayed for me. And I thought, okay, I got Jesus now. But <laughs> <laughs> And I did feel different. I did feel different. I did feel like something, something happened to me. And the weeks after that, I felt like, you know, I, I want to be like that guy. Yeah. I want to be like that guy. I want to go and become a man like him. And if it means being a priest, this is the seventies, right? So Vatican council had just finished. Yeah. Um, there were lots of changes in the church. Um, and some of them were visible changes. And I, I, at the age of 17, after I finished high school, I left home and I got on a train and I went to Gaylong in, in uh, the ACT. And I began my studies for the Redemptorist Fathers. Yeah. <laughs> so that encounter changed the direction of my life. Absolutely. Wow. And so, I mean, you're sitting here, you're, you're not 
a redemptorist father. So what happened um, over there? I, I am a father, but not a redemptorist father. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a priest either. Yeah. Um, so I, I, um, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I went there. I did a year at Gaylong. And then I went to the academic training phase to Maitland, uh, Edmund Gleeson House, and I studied at the University of Newcastle. And I did two years there, and I realised that I, um, what I did realise was I wasn't called a celibacy. I didn't realise that that was going to exclude me from becoming a priest. Um, but I found out that celibacy was a prerequisite to being a priest, and um, so the rector and I decided that I wasn't called to the priesthood, and I left the the Edmund Gleeson House and the Redemptorist Fathers training. There would have been twenty or so guys there. Some of them some of them became priests. So one of the one of my companion um, Redemptorist students with me is now the is now the Oceani, Oceanic um, head of the Redemptorist Fathers, uh, Father John Hodgkinson. Um, so I left that, I finished my academic training in, um, in Newcastle at the university. I switched degrees from philosophy and theology to psychology, and then I hated psychology and I moved into the arts and I studied English literature and and the American poets, and I loved, I loved writing, I loved words, and um, and it was a interesting time. I had to work a job to pay for myself during uni, so I, I was working at nights, working on the weekends, studying, trying to get myself through. I learned to grow up. I learned to look after myself. I learned some things about relationships. If you want to have friends. You have to you have to take the initiative. They're not going to come knocking at your door, mm. and uh, learn to build friendships. I learned to talk to people, um, and I um, I went when I was at university. Mum and Dad moved from Perth to Brisbane. So when I finished my degree, instead of going home to Perth, I went to Brisbane, and um, and uh, that that sort of that sort of move created my next destiny, the part, the next part of my destiny. Yes, the next, the next chapter, I suppose. Chapter, yes. Yeah, and so, can you tell us a little bit more about what what the next chapter actually entailed for you? Is that you know straight into meeting your wife, or um, were there more adventures in Brisbane before <laughs> <laughs> before that happened? Yeah, so I um, I went to Brisbane. Mum and Dad, Mum and Dad went to Brisbane and joined a uh, a community, a manual community. And um, when I went to Brisbane, I had nowhere to live, so I lived with Mum and Dad for a while. And while I was living with Mum and Dad, I was introduced to a Catholic, Catholic charismatic renewal, Catholic. Um, communities and uh, again another experience of God another experience of a different way of uh, uh, doing church um, and I basically decided to try and do something with my life so I got a job I got a job with a furniture manufacturer as a marketing manager and um, whilst I was um, I met a young lady in church called Alicia and uh, I decided I was going to marry her. And uh, 
a year or so after that, we got married and we had four children. Had four children. Beautiful. Four children, yeah. And you've got a son in the seminary at the moment, do you now? Correctly? Isaac, yes. Yes, Isaac, Isaac that's right. Isaac, my oldest, he, um, he has just finished... He's in the in the middle of his fourth um, fourth year, so he's finished his uh, bachelor of theology. He's right. begun his masters. Next year, he will go on placement for a year in a parish somewhere or somewhere doing doing uh, placement, and then the diaconate, and then after the diaconate priesthood. So he's more than halfway, and going well. And I'm very proud of him. Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say as a father. It must be such a heartwarming and encouraging experience to see your son going through that journey, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm really. Uh, I I'm really blessed, and I I try not to put too much pressure on him and let him know and make him feel like he has to finish this, finish this. But I feel he has a vocation, and he's a mature, mature uh, age. He's in his early thirties, so yep. he's he's uh, he's doing really well, and we're really proud of him. And Matthias is my second son. He's an engineer. He's getting married to a Catholic lady. And uh, they're currently working in Melbourne and they'll be getting married in October. And I have my daughter, Kiara, who's in the last sort of six months of her law psych degree. Uh, she's working with, as a paralegal with a law firm. She's found a, a really fine young man, which I'd be very happy if, Happy for him to be her husband, um, if if he asks. And my youngest is Shem. Shem, Shem is um, where I was when I was in Western Australia growing up, just enjoying life, not really knowing what I want to be, what I want to do, and um, and he'll find his way. Yeah, wonderful. Sounds like a, a beautiful family there. Yeah, yeah, we're really pleased. Yeah, thank you. And so, Robert, you come across, um, and I think anybody who's ever met you would say that you come across as a natural leader, a natural influencer in a positive way towards other men. Have you always been a natural leader of men? Um, is it something that you learnt by osmosis or <laughs> <laughs> is it just a gift that God gave you? Like, how, how did you, I don't know, attain the, the leadership and the influence that you, that you now have? You're too kind, Chris. I, th I think you have the gift of exaggeration. <laughs> um, I, I think being the eldest son and dad being away a lot, some responsibility fell on me. Um, I think spending a number of years looking after myself and having to fend for myself and pay my own way through university, I, I, I learned to take responsibility um, because it wasn't going to happen otherwise and I've, I've always been an enthusiastic person I was an enthusiastic sinner when I uh, and I was an enthusiastic um, passionate footballer um, my nickname when I was playing AFL footy was warhorse <laughs> because I wasn't afraid um, yeah. uh, that could be called stupidity as well, but, but I wasn't afraid. And um, so I had enthusiasm. I, I wasn't afraid to do things, try things. And 
I learned I learned that um, a work ethic, going and doing something, was really important. So, what I learned was enthusiasm will carry you a long way, even if you don't know anything. Uh, and I learned that um, you got to take responsibility, especially for your own own journey, and and um, uh, being courageous. And it's amazing if you have those particularly the enthusiasm and courageous qualities, people will follow you. So yes. I, I, I didn't know I was a leader, but I did know that people wanted to, wanted to follow me. And I, um, I didn't realize that that was what was called leadership, having mm. people follow you. And, and, and when I did realize it, it was something that was a bit of a shock because I, I felt like I wasn't somebody that anybody should follow at that time. Right because I wasn't going to lead them in the right direction. But uh, over time, over time, I, I've learnt, learnt a little bit about leadership, but I, I, I've got to say that I've got a long way to go with leadership. Uh, and uh, so has the world. We're, leadership around the world and leadership uh, amongst nations is appallingly, appallingly delivered. Although I do, without making um, too much about it, I think the current leadership of the Australian Australian government is is showing some very good signs, humility and um, servant leadership and heroic leadership. I think those things are really good. Yeah, but I've got a long way to go. Leadership is not something that you learn all the rules about and then know how to do it. Um, it's something you try and do, you try and do, and you try and do, and then over time over time through failing mostly you 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 learn what leadership's about and it's really about love which is the hard yeah. lesson to learn it is it's, yeah it's not, it's not something that you can pick up in theory you've got a trial and error and and mostly error i suppose yeah, <laughs> yeah. until you get to your destination so i can see how you know these qualities could be really helpful for getting you started in men's ministry so can you speak to that experience of how God called you to found men alive and, and how he's used you and then, you know, the, the team that you have around you and volunteers all around the country to, to take it to where it is today. Yeah. So, um, I was sort of in my forties, just late thirties, early forties, thereabouts. And, um, I was sitting in church with my family. My kids were climbing over the seats and annoying all the old ladies in front. And um, I've now begun to experience what that's like as well with the toddler. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I had four of, four of them. Three of them were boys, and they were very energetic, enthusiastic, and 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 courageous as well. And um, uh, and I looked around that day. Father was into his homily, and I wasn't. And. Um, and I thought to myself, um, where are all the men? Where are all, we were one of the few families that were in church with kids jumping around and making a noise. And I thought, what, what's happened here? Why aren't there any men? Yeah. So I thought, I wonder if there's any, wonder if it's just this parish, the one that I'm in. Maybe I should go and find a new parish where there are more families like mine. And, um, so I, I just a little little research project um, 
uh, on data in the Catholic Church, and there's plenty. There was plenty of data. Even back in those days, there was plenty of data, even more now. And I realized that I was a rare commodity in the church and um, yeah. become, becoming rarer. And I went to um, the Archbishop of the day in Brisbane, the late um, Archbishop John Bethesby, who became a good friend and a good supporter of my uh, of my uh, beginnings and enabled enabled me to see good leadership enables other people people to become leaders. He yes. enabled me to become responsible for what I was doing. I went to his office and I knocked on the door, and and I said, uh, and he let me he let me in. Uh, um, it was much easier to get to the bishops in those days, and um, <laughs> God bless them. And um, yes. and I um, uh, I said, you know, you Grace, do you know? Do you know what's going on here? Do you know the data? And I blurted out all the data that I learned from the Australian Catholic. He says, Yes, Robert, I know about it. And I said, mm. uh, What are you? What are you going to do about it, you Grace? And and he's a wise man, you know. Like the the last phase, the last phase of leadership is becoming a wise man. That's why I say I've got a long way to go. And um, and he turned to me and he said this. He said, "What are you going to do about it, Robert?" And I took that as permission. You know, sounds like I, it sounds like permission to me. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I thought. And and I, and we didn't say much more about it. Uh, he he was very kind to me in many ways after that, supportively. But I went I went out and I thought, okay, um, I'm going to do something. So doing something meant leadership to me. I'm, I'm going to do something. So I went and saw a friend of mine called Peter Shikoskoy, and I said, Peter, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a men's ministry. Mm. And like there was nothing such such as that in the Church of Australia at that time. Um, yeah. and, 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 I, and I, I only knew that the word ministry and men fitted together because that's what I wanted to do. So I had no idea what to do, but what I did know, I needed to do something. And what I thought I'd do was, I thought I'd do what the Redemptorist Fathers did way back in the day. Mm. And I thought I'd run a parish mission. Not a bad so idea. There was, there was no model for it except for what I experienced with the Redemptorist Fathers, and I hadn't yeah. seen any parish missions since then. Mm. So I, um, I and Peter and I convinced a couple of other guys to help. Um, and, you know, they said, if you guys start getting really weird on us, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run. But anyway, so what, we just, we just had a very simple formula. We just get, try to gather some guys together and um, talk about manhood stuff Including sexuality, which nobody ever talked about in in Fantastic. my day. In my day. Yeah. And and talking about and we just talked about from our own lives, rather than try to be theological and catechetical, mm. what we tried to do was just tell narrative stories, stories about our right. own lives. And and we put the put some brochures and stuff away around and a whole pile of guys turned up. Like lots wow. of them. Lots of them. Wow. And we thought, what's going on here? <laughs> There's a real need. And, and we probably delivered the most average we, event we, we, we did have done in our history. But all these guys said, this is the best thing we've ever heard in, in church. Yeah. And can, can, can you do it again? Can you? Because can you? We, we held it in a hall. And they mm -hmm. said, can you come to our parish? And we did it over a weekend. So people 
people slept overnight and was catered for and everything. And a bunch of guys came to us and said, could you do this in our parish? St. Mm. Bernard's in Upper Mount Gravatt. And yep. they said, they said um, um, and can you make it not live in? And can you make it for, um, for $50? We charge $200 live in. Uh, they wanted to, to be uh, all day Saturday and Sunday morning. Everybody goes home and sleeps in their own bed. And the first miracle of Metal Life besides starting was we changed our model to suit the people in the pews yeah. rather than force our model upon them. Mm -hmm. uh, that was quite a miracle. So we learned a lesson. The people are more important than the ministry. Mm. We don't have a ministry unless there's people who are champion, championing it and wanting, wanting what we offer. We right. can't force feed the sheep. We can't force feed the congregation. They need to love what we bring and want it. So we said that we made one of our first axioms. And the first axiom was we'll only go where we're invited. Only go where we're invited, which is part of the axioms of the mendicant orders and the itinerant preachers. Um, yeah. so, so we've, we've taken Francis of Assisi and, uh, the uh, Jesuits, um, Dominicans, and Dominicans, yeah. The, yeah, those guys as part of our modeling. You know, we, we weren't intending to be an order. We aren't an order, but that's what we did. And then now, 17 years later, 35,000 men, uh, 400, 400 events in 27 dioceses in Australia and New Zealand. Um, this year, we had 40 events booked. We, we only did two out of the 40 because of COVID-19. Yes, unfortunately. So, so people ring up. They want us to come and do one, one of three or four things that we do now. And we go wherever we're asked to go. And to do that, to do 40 events, which I can't do. Mm. Um, I would do maybe 20 out of the 40. Uh, we've had to um, have other laymen join our, our our work and uh we have 65 nationally nationally and in new zealand um who are missionaries to men and uh, it all started it all started from the question where are all the men mm. and it's still the question that we ask where are they yeah that's yeah that's a beautiful history and i think it yeah it's it's testament to god's providence and how you know he's waiting for men to put their hands up and say you know let me be your vessel because he's got so much work to do but he he wants us to be you know cooperative in that that's um, absolutely 100% correct chris yeah um okay so let's focus on some of what the ministry actually focuses a lot on. Um, I know fatherhood is a very important uh, factor in, in your ministry. Um, the fatherhood of God to us as men and recognizing his fatherhood, but then also because so many men who come on Men Alive events are already fathers. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so what role does fatherhood play in evangelizing 
evangelizing men today? Yeah, so one of the obstacles to fatherhood, um, one of the obstacles of, to accepting God the Father, or God as Father, is um, we often, like I said, I did, we often have an image of God that's similar to the image of our own fathers. Yes. Now, many men, many men carry a deep father wound, mm. or as a minimum, a father hunger. Um, and if that is not processed, God will always be distant yeah. or absent. And we can do as much devotional life as we want. If we haven't dealt with the wounding, we will always have an inappropriate or inadequate image of God. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Jesus Jesus gives God a new name. Mm. Abba. Abba, that's right. And Abba is not a title or hierarchy. It's intimate. Mm. Dada. Yeah. Papa. Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> you know, like it's it's intimate, tender, affectionate. Mm. And um, if we have if we don't have a religion or a mission or an evangelizing vehicle that does not capture that sense of God's new name, the word made flesh, who speaks about his dada mm. uh, in a way that we can reach, experience, um, encounter, as John Paul II said, encounter this new person, uh, we've got nothing to say. We can have all the doctrinal truths, but without relationship, they they don't carry anything. With relationship, they're jewels of the kingdom. Mm. Uh, so fatherhood is is one of the critical ingredients. Uh, we we did some volunteer missions to Uganda, very poor country. Um, we didn't charge them anything. We did it as a tithe, as a ministry tithe. Yeah. We tithed our ministry, paid for our own ways, went there and went, did mission there. And the father wound in that country is horrific. Really? Horrific. Wow. The men in that country are in major, major disorder. Multiple wives, um, multiple children from multiple families, um, HIV, the whole thing is crazy. And when we came there with a message of this Abba father, it was incomprehensible to them incomprehensible mm. to them and we and and we said to ourselves our preaching unless unless the father turns up our preaching is going to be useless because they don't have any concept of this god none yes. zero mm. uh, and uh through the miracle of grace uh not not necessarily anything that had anything to do with us other than the fact that we were there this powerful healing came upon the the church of uh Kampala and Masaka, and uh, it was like watching, watching what God was doing uh, and restoring. And you know, the 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 last chapter of the Old Testament, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi chapter three or four, depending on which version of the Bible you read. And the last verse of the last chapter of the Old Testament says this: In that great and terrible day, when the spirit of Elijah comes upon um, the people, 
I will return the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Mm. So if you were thinking, if you were the Holy Spirit and you were writing the Bible and you were thinking, what am I going to, what's the last lines of this, this first part of the Bible? Uh, there it is. It tells us God's intentionality. And then the very yeah. first chapter of the first book of the, of the New Testament is the genealogy of fathers and sons. Yes. How exciting is that for us? You know, like it's yeah. there. The hinge, the hinge of salvation that c connects the both testaments is the importance of fathers and their children. And it's saying what God is doing. And then the great messianic era with Jesus, the son of God, the word made flesh um, is, is, is extraordinary. So fatherhood is critical. If we don't get that one sorted out, there's nothing we can teach men. Really nothing. We can teach them to be obedient. We can teach them to be pure. We can teach them everything. But the reason for all of these courageous things that we want men to be is that we are deeply loved yeah. by a beautiful, gorgeous, loving father who sends his son to show us how to be men. Yeah. Fatherhood's critical to our evangelizing um, uh, endeavor without yeah. it. We don't have anything to offer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I've been reading Devin Schatz's book, show us the father. Show us the father. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's an awesome book. Um, and you know, I, I've heard and read about these things a lot. Um, but I suppose I'm reading it in a new light now because I've got two little boys. Yep. Um, I've got a 20 month old and I've got a 11 week old. Um, and, you know, I love them so much and I'm really, you know, scared of wounding them because I know everybody yeah. to, su to some degree has some kind of a father wound. And I just, I just think to myself, what, what am I going to do to like break these boys hearts? Like I can't, I can't even bear to think about, you know, doing that to them. Um, yeah. What would you say to, to someone, in, to me, to someone in my position? A young yeah. dad who does want to do the right thing, lead their yeah. kids to God. Yeah, so you're not going to save them from their wounding. Yeah, no, I know. It's just <laughs> how you can you can save them from how deep the wounding might be. Mm -hmm. So if you're a man of God and you pray regularly and and you worship regularly and you live in the in the word of God, the scriptures, uh, and they see you attempting to be the man that you're called to be they may not know they may not know the story but they will see the message and you'll you'll become the message yeah as the father sends me so now i'm sending you chris and you are the message you are the word of god in your family and they they are not they are not going to listen to you they are going to see you Show us the father, Philip said. Show us the father, and then we'll know who he is. So they they will see you. And the problem with most, the most common problem with father wounding is absent fathers. Yeah. Um, so if you're present and they can see you, they will learn the goodness in you. And there is goodness in you. You're working really hard to be 
God's man on the earth. I can, I can see it. And I know a little bit about you to know that that you, you are intentional about being God's man and your children, your children have the spirit of God in them. And when they look at you, God is speaking to them through their eyes, especially the boys. Why do men sin mostly through their eyes? Because it's the vehicle they're going to learn about the father through. We don't, men as men, wow. men don't necessarily listen much. We don't necessarily listen much, but we look. Yes. Why is pornography such a such a great weapon against men in 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 the world? Pornography is not just it destroys your sexuality; it destroys your ability to see, your ability to see, the yes. ability to see the father. Yeah. Yeah, no, I never thought about it. I never made that connection that you just made there. That's that's fantastic. I have to go away and pray about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Robert, more on on this issue of, of fatherhood, because there's such an intimate connection and I think uh, a vulnerability that needs to be there in men. And men are certainly today not uh, very used to or open to being vulnerable. Um, so but we, need to, we need to meet them in that place and the way that they're going to encounter the Father is through them being vulnerable. So how do we get to you know, men who aren't even on the pews, unchurched men, and, and facilitate an opportunity for them where they can actually be vulnerable and then encounter the Father? Yeah, this, this, this is a really good question. It's a question that we've been asking for... Um, a little while as men alive is how do we reach people who don't come to church? Yeah. You know, we could call them unchurched. They're probably not unchurched. They're probably de-churched. They probably have come to church and now no longer go to church. Yeah. Um, there is an unchurched generation coming. Um, how do we reach those guys? And we've been asking that question often in our strategic meetings as men alive. And, and how, we, we, we don't know, but one of, the, one of the suspicions we have in our experimentation is, is how did Jesus reach people? And Jesus did two things, two things that I can see in the scriptures are a regular pattern of Jesus's behavior and actions. He knew where people were and he went to where people were. So he knows where they are and he knows what they need. So we've tried to use those two things as our guidance. The first thing about where are they? Where, so where are all these men who don't come to church? There's no, no, no use making a parish mission for those guys because they're not going to come more or less. Yeah. They're not going to come. We're, we're, we're trying to evangelize those who are still there. So what type of mission or what type of event would they come to? So by the data, and data is useful, by the data, we know where a large chunk of them are. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at me going, yeah, where are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a large chunk of them have, still have children in our Catholic schools. True. That's true. You can check the data. You can check how many Catholic people who say they're Catholic on the data, and you can check out how many families have children in Catholic schools. And just by extrapolating those two pieces of pieces of data, you can say 
60 plus percent of the people who don't, the men who don't go to church are, who say they're Catholic and don't go to church, are still in our Catholic school system. Yeah, they're connected With, in that way. Yeah, so that's where they are. That's the first thing. So we know where some of them are, a big, big number of them are. We know also that a big number of them, probably mostly still some of that 60 something percent that are in Catholic schools, we know that those guys also go to Mass at Christmas and Easter. Mm. Right? So there's two things. We know they're in the schools and we know, we know they're uh, Christmas and Easter. So what do they need? Well, we just went and asked them. We just went and did a, a bit of a random survey of guys in Catholic schools and said, well, what, what are the two big issues in your lives? And they, and they, and they unanimously said these two things. How do I stay married to this strange woman I fell in love with and I've no idea how to make her happy anymore? And how do I raise these kids? It was fun making them, but they're so complex to raise. Yeah. So they're the two ingredients. Wow. They're not interested in church. They're yeah. not interested in, in us talking mm. to them about God. Mm. Not interested. Uh, and in fact, if you start doing that, they run away. So yeah. we've tried to earn their trust and we are at the beginning phase of this. Try to earn their trust by talking to them about how to keep their marriage together. Mm. What does, what does a woman want and how to raise children? What is the ingredients to raising good, wholesome, mature children? Now, if you use that language, the importance of fatherhood language, which is our father factors series that we run in Catholic schools, we get lots of people come lots of them. Yeah. And if the first thing we do is stand up and start talking about God, half of them will just go. Yes. So we have to bring God into the equation later, mm. but earn their trust first. So this is a really interesting phase of our ministry. And it's still an experimental phase. We can't say we've actually got the formula yet. But, we, you know, if we keep being faithful in experimentation, um, I think God will show us the next step. Yeah. No, I think you've really hit on some, some really key points there. So when you surveyed these guys... Did you just ask them flat out, you know, what are the two main issues in your life? Or how did you even extrapolate? Um, yeah, we just, we, just got some, we just got some schools to agree to us put, putting on a barbecue. Okay. But barbecue for dads. Uh, it's amazing how many wives make their, make their husbands go to these things because they know <laughs> yeah. they could be better husbands, right? Yeah. They know they could be better. These women are so smart. They know they could get a better husband. If, and they come <laughs> to these things and... and um, uh, we give them a couple of beers and snag and a piece of bread. And, and then we stand around going, so what's life like? You know, we don't do the barbecue talk. We go to the serious stuff. We're not talking about politics and about football and that sort of stuff. We go, you know, like, and some, and, and sometimes to break that open, we get somebody, one of the mental life guys to stand up and they go, I just want to tell you about my journey as being, of being a father. Yeah. I, I, I run into these two issues. I run into the fact that I don't know how to love my wife the way she needs to be loved. And, and I'm trying the best I can. And I don't know how to raise these kids. You know, when they were, when they were zero to five, it was easy. Feed them, change them, put them to bed. No problem. 
now they're running around, they're going to school, they've got attitude, uh, they're intelligent. What do I do? How do I raise them? So, yeah. um, uh, and, and um, there is a key there that we haven't found yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That, that's awesome that you've tapped into that. Sounds like your kids want your attention. This uh, <laughs> little Athanasius is coming in the door. He might, he might come and say hello. Hello, Athanasius. Where are you? Come on. He's come like right in the corner. Uh, there is. Him yeah, I can see him. Yeah, I can see him. He's got the hoodie on. Is that the hoodie? Yeah, huh? he's got the hoodie yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. good does. on you, mate. <laughs> it's a bit cold in Western Sydney. <laughs> yeah, it's cold in it's it's cold in Queensland. Right. Okay. Must, must be a really cold. One. <laughs> um, it's, it's thirteen degrees. It's so cold. <laughs> wow. You can come come and say hello to everyone. Oh, look at you. <laughs> yeah. You've got better hair than your daddy. That's for sure. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful little locks. Look at your cheeks, Rosie. Yeah. Um, so, Robert, if men, after listening to this conversation, you know, feel inspired to take on some extra responsibility, whether they want to share the faith with men who they know in their own lives, who are... Uh, de-churched, as you say, or they just want to try and fire up some of the other guys in their parish, uh, what would you recommend the first steps they take be? Yeah, I think um, that's yes, such a good question that I could spend too much time on, but um, yeah. the, the simple thing that I would say is, is um, spend time talking about manhood and not talking about church. Now, that sounds yeah. counterintuitive. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, we're never going to get people into the church if we don't talk about church. But you, you have to, have to earn. Uh, yes, that's right. There's more wisdom coming. We have to learn earn their trust. And that doesn't mean watering down our faith. It means bringing our manhood to the surface and being vulnerable. You said that at the very beginning, vulnerable. Yes. Uh, um, and, and, I, and I think the message for men, the message for men, um, it, it doesn't have any religious words attached to it. And we would say this, to be an authentic man, and everybody wants to be a real man, we use the word authentic, authentic man, we have to intentionally reject passivity, so passivity is the place where we go to as men when we can't work life out. Yes. Reject it's like an escapism. Yep. Reject passivity. So sit in front of the the box and play games, you know? Yeah. Or sit in front of the TV or go and find go and find your you know, your your the sites where you shouldn't go. So reject passivity, accept responsibility, live courageously. And then once you've said those three things, you earn the right to say this one. And love, love God with all your being. Love God with all your being. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, live courageously, and love God with all your being. But the first three will win any man. Any man. Why do so many people follow, young men follow Jordan Peterson? He says, get out of bed, make your bed. Get a job and take responsibility for your life. Yeah. Um, clean up your room. Clean up your room. You're like, you know, do the little things and then you get the great things to do. Um, yeah, so that's um, that's what I would say. 
Yes, that's sage advice, Robert. Um, so I'm sure that's something that everybody listening or watching this can take on board. And finally, because we are just uh, starting to run out of time here a little bit, um, as I said at the beginning, we have challenges that we always put through on this show with the guests that come on. Every guest offers a challenge or issues a challenge, should I say, to our Maximus men. How would you like to challenge the men listening to this this week, Robert? Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that the men that are watching or listening this week could do is take some responsibility for their local church. So the domestic okay. church, domestic church, their family, the domestic church is the highest priority for, for, for a man. Yes. And, but if the domestic church is healthy, the domestic church is healthy, the, the, the local church will be healthy. So take responsibility for, be, be the man of God in your domestic church and then begin to take responsibility for your local church. And that means, that means going, going to father and knocking on his door and saying, hey, I'd like to do some things with men. Um, I'd like to use the church hall. Um, I'm, gonna run a, I'm gonna run a barbecue and just gather some guys. I'm gonna put a notice in, notice in the school. So, so just begin gathering men. Yeah. Gathering men, and and you know if they want if they want some material, tell tell them to go to the Men Alive website, www.menalive.org.au. There's plenty of material there, um, and they get plenty of support. They'll get plenty of support for the region from the regional Men Alive teams. But just start something in their parish. Start something in their parish. That's the challenge. The challenge is challenge is one day Men Alive will not be needed in the Church of Australia. That's the challenge. It will not be needed because everyone listening to this program and all the young men will be taking responsibility for the local parish and the local parish will be a place of vitality and health where men could go and receive healing for their wounding, training for yes. their manhood and learning to love God with all their being. That's the challenge, that mm -hmm. every man would take responsibility for the church now. And, and not necessarily use church language to evangelize. Yeah. Use the language of manhood to evangelize and earn trust. And then God will do the rest. God does the rest. Because they know, they know at the depth of their soul there's more. And, you know, the great, the great thing about, about Maximus manhood is, is mm. it, comes, it comes from a Jesuit idea of, of magis. Magis, yes, yeah, yeah. The more, the more. If we just, you know, I used to say to the guys that used to work for me, if you just do what's required, you'll get paid what's required. But if you do more than what's required, you will probably get more than what you what you require. So let's do more. Let's do the margis, the maximus, the margis, and the church has a virtue attached to that idea. It's called magnanimity. Yes, we actually did our we actually did our very first episode on magnanimity, just talking about that virtue. Yeah, yeah. So become uh, become uh, Maximus men. Exactly. Become Maximus men. Change the world, one man at a time. Yeah, it's one man at a time, and I think it's so good the way that you have explained that in a in a subsidiary way, by which I mean 
you, you just do the thing that's closest to you first. So first, look after yourself, your family. Then go down the street to your local parish, talk to the priest. Just get the guys together. Don't think about like how many lives there are to change and how hard it's going to be to change all of them because of all the stuff that's going on in their lives. It's, it's literally just one tiny little step at a time, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you, can, you can take the lead from, some, from uh, the great solemnity that we had a few days ago, the, the Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul, right? Yes. Why did, why did Jesus make Peter the, the, the founding father of the church? Why did he choose St. Paul? Because they did things. Why is it called the Acts of the Apostles? Acts, is, Acts is not an acronym. <laughs> it's a verb. A doing word. Yes, action. Just do something where you are, yeah. and then you'll get promoted to somewhere where you want to be. Do something where you are, then you'll get promoted to where you want to be. And don't worry about not knowing what to do. Did Peter know what to do? Did he know what to do? He did not know what to do. Did Paul know what to do? He made a lot of mistakes. He, he did not know what to do, but God knew what, knew what to do. And those men in God's hands, those men in God's hands, eventually did what God wanted. And here we are, 2,000 years later, uh, sitting around like the apostles would have sat around, talking about doing great things for God. Yes. Here, here we are once again. Um, that's also really helpful because it addresses the passivity that you just spoke about a little bit earlier. You know, we get, I think we can get paralyzed and overwhelmed in in our passivity these days. Um, but yeah, just, just do something small. Just do uh, something. Yeah. Just something, anything. Something is better than nothing. Something. Yeah. Like, like love your love, love your son. Like you're doing now <laughs> and then go love someone else's son, yeah. you know, Yeah. and teach them how to be a man. And there are so many men out there who are longing for, for father figures to teach them how to, 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 uh, yeah. To be men. Mm. Well, Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this afternoon. Um, yeah, the the advice has been super practical. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot as well. So we've got our we've got our challenge for the week. Hopefully, it's not just for the week that we can keep doing little <laughs> things and and moving one step at a time. So, Robert, uh, finally, would you like to close us off in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Loving Father, you send your Son, Jesus, because you love the world. Now I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus, that you send these sons, these, these men, you send these men into the world, first into the world of their domestic church, then the local church, and maybe one day to the Church of Australia. Give these men Maximus, Maximus love, Maximus love, the grand great love of your son Jesus. Send the Holy Spirit that we may be fire 
on the earth. Set us ablaze. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Robert. That has been, yeah, just a very enriching chat. Um, I'm sure everybody who watches and listens will get a lot out of it. Um, do you have any resources or events that you'd like to plug just before we finish off this afternoon? Yeah, one of the things that we are doing uh, in conjunction with the Australian Catholic Bishops Conference um, is we're running the ACBC. Well, not Men Alive is running, but we are, we are participating in helping to run the ACBC Catholic Men's Gathering uh, this year it'll be online. It comes online from the 15th of August. Uh, it'll stay online for about a month. And we're really encouraging men to do that. Um, I don't know whether you've received the uh, registration links and stuff like that yet. Chris, I might email them yes. to you. We, we actually did receive them and um, I have emailed them off to our database that we have so far. Uh, did you receive yeah. the correct link? Because the first one that was sent out by the ACBC was wrong. Okay. <laughs> we'll, have to go. we'll have to double check that one. Yeah, so I think the guys could register. They can, they can watch it by themselves. They can watch it as a group. Um, there's some really great speakers, including uh, Daniel Ang, Peter Pelican, Jude Hennessy, Steve Lawrence. There are about eight bishops speaking. Um, including uh, the um, Archbishop of Sydney Diocese, um, Anthony Fisher, and Mark Coleridge is speaking, Archbishop Mark Coleridge is speaking, and Bishop, Archbishop Julian Porteous, and uh, Christopher Prowse, and uh, lots of lots of bishops, so if you're in, into that, and, uh, and it'll be very practical. It's not, it's gonna be very practical. So the ACBC Catholic Men's Gathering is really worthwhile having a look at and the men alive yeah. website and the men alive website i'll just add to what you're saying as well about the acbc event because there are a couple of parishes in the archdiocese of sydney that this ministry that i'm doing as a part of um that will be hosting in in parish in person screenings of this event on the 15th of august which is also the feast of the assumption of our lady that's right yeah. um yeah and they'll be able to take about 50 men each so we've got in the greater sydney region there's probably about seven different venues that you can go to if yeah. if you also want that fellowship um and a lot of these priests are being very generous in um offering mass um at the beginning before yeah. we screen the conference and then opportunity for reconciliation and adoration at the end too and, and lunch in the middle so um it's going to be almost like everyone going to the thing <laughs> so it'll be fantastic if, if everybody wants to join on with that we'll post more information about this on our page for you guys uh once again thank you robert it's been lovely having you and i'm sure we'll have to have you on again it's great to be here chris and you guys are doing an awesome job thank you Great. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, everyone out there. God bless you all. Bless you.